Mindfulness Mode 407. It will come down to things like courage, ambition, and challenging the status quo. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. I've recorded another guided meditation. The cost of this guided meditation is $4.99. It's about abandoning your inner blocks, surrendering your stress, becoming more focused, and raising your personal level of contentment. You can definitely achieve more of the things you want to do in your life if you have increased concentration and if you have been able to abandon your inner blocks, release some of these things that are holding you back. You will hear the the calming sound of waves and it's a full 30-minute guided meditation. You can listen to part of it or all of it, whatever you like. And of course, listen to it over and over and over, day after day, if you wish. You can receive this guided meditation recorded by me, Bruce Langford, at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash release. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview. I am here today with an awesome author of a terrific new book, and the book is called Employee to Entrepreneur. So if you've ever had any thoughts about leaving that corporate world or that that world of just working for somebody else, this is the book to grab, Employee to Entrepreneur. I have Steve Glaveski here today. Steve, are you in mindfulness mode today? Look, every day, Bruce, I try to be in mindfulness mode as much as I possibly can. It is a constant journey. Um, I don't think one ever truly arrives, but one can be as mindful as possible. So today, I didn't get the opportunity to put in my early morning workout, but I had enough time to smash out 100 burpees, meditate for five minutes, and have, I guess, what in our part of the world it constitutes a cold shower. But as I was saying before we hit record, our Temperature today is 40 degrees Celsius. It's summer. We've got no polar vortex here. So I imagine the water coming out of the shower isn't quite as cold as as it would be over there in Ontario, Canada. No, but you can always make some ice and pour some ice in and get in there at the bathtub with some ice. That would be good. You can. I occasionally do do that. But do you? Yeah, I think if you want to form any type of habit in life, you've got to make it easy. And yeah, getting the ice, pouring it into the bathtub, filling the tub, there's just so much friction there, Bruce. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you got that right. Well, you have really given us a lot of insight in this book, Employee to Entrepreneur. And I want to share a bit about you first and, uh, you know, let my my listeners hear what you're up to. Steve Glavesky is CEO and co-founder of Collective Campus, and that's a corporate innovation and startup accelerator, which is based in Melbourne, Australia. He deals with clients from across the world. And like I said, he's author of this new awesome book called Employee to Entrepreneur, and it's available around the world. And Steve also co-founded something called Lemonade Stand, which is a children's entrepreneur program. Steve hosts the Apple podcast charting Future Squared. Yeah, this is a great podcast, by the way. So head over to Future Squared and listen to Steve on there sometime. He's a founding investor in Concrete 
starting with K, K-O-N-K-R-E-T-E, which is a blockchain-enabled share registry, and he's a contributor to the Harvard Business Review. And he's done so many things, but let's find out what mindfulness means to you, and then we'll dig into this book, Steve. Sure. So mindfulness to me is about being as intentional as possible throughout the day um, based on an alignment with who you want to be, where you want to go, and not being derailed. Um, and so far, um, as, as much as possible by emotion. Um, because, you know, I, I do believe that we have only so much free will as human beings that we are a byproduct of evolutionary biology, uh, upbringing, past experience, um, environmental conditioning, all that sort of stuff. And that's why we need to be really, really intentional about how we respond to external stimuli because it is so easy to just operate on autopilot and if you operate on autopilot for five years, 10 years, 20 years, you may find yourself in a place in life where you have not reached any of your goals. In fact, you've probably gone the other way. And that's really a byproduct of our decisions. So the more mindful I can be throughout the day, the more intentional I can be with my decisions, the better decisions I can make. And that over time will have a compounding effect um, on my business life and on my personal life. Well, I loved your book, and I love chapter five particularly. It, it's called An Entrepreneurial Mindset, and you talk about persistence and determination, and you get into talking about the home, the Homer Odyssey, the book by Homer, and, yes. and stories we tell ourselves. So how has that affected you, you know, dealing with your own mindset? Yeah, I think uh, you know, growing up in... In Melbourne, I grew up in a socioeconomically disadvantaged part of, of Melbourne, Melbourne's western suburbs, lots of crime. Um, you know, I grew up uh, first generation Australian. My parents came to the country with no English, no money. They worked hard in factories just doing labor work. And I went to ordinary schools, ordinary universities. And I guess when you come up that sort of um, trajectory, it's easy to um, self-censor yourself and say, well, I'm, no, I'm not as good as these you know, Harvard grads and... Um, Ivy school, um, Ivy college kids, but ultimately the story you tell yourself will influence the decisions and subsequent behaviors you take. Um, now in my case, I needed to update that story in order to give myself confidence. And, you know, that wasn't something that I just woke up one day and said, okay, the story is that I'm confident, I'm smart, I'm, I can do this. It was through a revelatory sort of series of hops, skips and jumps, um, whether it was you know, initially start getting a particular de degree in a specific field, getting into an organization like an Ernst & Young or a Macquarie Bank, which is um, notoriously difficult to get into, um, starting to earn some revenue with my very first startup venture, because most startups don't even make any money. They just make money from venture capitalists, blow it all and go out of business. So all those little things added up to build that confidence. And I think once you get to a, a certain point when, you, when you've clocked up enough runs on the board, um, the motivation, the discipline, the confidence just snowballs. Um, and so the story you tell yourself is incredibly important. And like you said there, um, the Homer's Odyssey, you know, it tells a story of a young a warrior who spent 10 years fighting in the Trojan Wars only to find himself spending an extra 10 years finding his way back home um, to Ithaca. Uh, that, that time was marred by man-eating cyclopses, shipwreck, um, he was enslaved by a nymphomaniac, all sorts of crazy stuff. And then when he finally made his way home, 
um, he had to fight off numerous suitors for his wife's hand in marriage. And his wife didn't even recognize him because 20 years away had taken their toll on, on Odysseus. Um, and then the lessons I take out of that is really persistence and patience. Those two things, um, you really need to be have, have a really positive relationship with adversity. You need to persist and you need to be patient um, in the entrepreneurial game because what you effectively are doing as an entrepreneur is taking something to market that is fraught with uncertainty and risk. Um, and therefore, because of that, uh, you need to be comfortable with setbacks, with rejection and with playing the long game. Yeah, you really do. And I love what you said about the goldfish. You said, if you ask a goldfish to climb a wall, it'll spend its whole life thinking it's stupid. And that's really what a lot of us are doing or have done in the past. And -hmm. speaking of the past, you talked about the first corporate job you landed and you kind of hit a little stumbling block with that. Tell us about what happened. Uh, With... um Ernst & Young or the Auditor General's office? We, oh, no, Dun & Bradstreet. Yes. Yeah, so I tell the story in the book of, of, of something that happened there. And I was quite young at the time, uh, about 22, um, if I recall correctly. First real job out of university. Uh, and this was at a time when I guess the internet wasn't um, as cheap as it is today. And it wasn't as fast as it is today, at least our dial-up at the time. Um, and I guess I found myself without much direction in this role. It was a new upstart uh, business unit in this large organization. And I found myself without the structure, spending a lot of time on the internet, surfing the web, being disciplined time and time again. But for whatever reason, I just found myself falling into old habits. And sure enough, after a couple of years and, and repeat warnings, um, I was pulled aside into what seemed like a very dark dimly lit room at the time where I sat with the director of this particular business unit and um, was given the talk and was ultimately let go. And I remember holding back tears at the time. And and throughout my life, I'd always been somewhat successful, like not top of the class, but always above average, pretty good in school, did well in sport, um, did reasonably well in university and everything else. And so for me, this was like one of the first big painful setbacks I experienced and it really shook my core of what my identity was all about and that's a really tough place to be and I I think you see that with people who overinvest in one specific aspect of life whether it's uh, being an awesome athlete whether it's being an awesome entrepreneur and then for whatever reason that gets taken away from them that can be completely debilitating and so I guess I had a a quarter life crisis of sorts uh, at the time Um, and then I needed to reflect on where to from here after that and like many of us do, those who can't do teach is the old adage. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just go back to high school and become an English teacher because that was a subject I enjoyed. I explored a lot of different avenues and I took a, a part-time job at a call center at the time just to make ends meet while I figured out what I was going to do with my life. And this call center was based in the middle of Melbourne's CBD in the legal district. And I remember walking to, 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 to work one day and I just saw so many lawyers and I believe, you know, management consultants and bankers all dressed to the nines with their briefcases and what appeared to be very important paperwork. And something about that really spoke to me. And I thought, well, if they can do it, so can I. You know, it wasn't a case of why them and not me. It wasn't that victim mentality. If they can do it, so can I. So based on that fire, that fuse that was lit, I enrolled in a distance learning um, master's in accounting degree. Um, and that ultimately opened the door to gigs with 
Firstly, the Auditor General's Office, which was a stepping stone to bigger brands like Ernst & Young, KPMG, and Macquarie Bank. And um, for, me, for me, the lesson is really about taking ownership. Um, whenever you have some sort of neg negative stimuli, negative circumstance in your life, if you take a victim mentality, nothing's going to come of it. In fact, you'll dig yourself a bigger hole. But if you take ownership, um, you can dig yourself out of the hole. The only way to get yourself out of a hole is to take action, essentially. Yeah, definitely take action. Yeah, I totally agree. Can you tell us an actual story about someone or a company that you've helped through your organization, Collective Campus? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, one that comes to mind immediately, which I, I love telling, uh, you mentioned the Lemonade Stand program yes. um, in, in the introduction. So that's a children's entrepreneurship program we've been running for about three years now. We've had uh, over a thousand kids come through and now we've turned that into an online platform um, with, which we've co-developed with the school which we're excited to scale um, internationally now the age group we deal with there is nine to twelve year olds and mm -hmm. one particular 11 year old who came through that program his name was alex and he came through the program graduated did a good job and i didn't hear from him nor did i expect to uh for about three months after the session concluded and then one day i just got this email from him which went along the lines of hi steve hope things are well just wanted to check in with you to let you know that i've since launched my business if it wasn't for the lemonade stand program i wouldn't have known that i could do something like this thank you for opening up my eyes to the possibilities um and if you ever decide that you want to build a stand-up paddle board here's the website so he tried to sell me on the way out um have a great christmas alex and I thought, wow, that's, that for me was just such a strong reminder as to why we do the kind of work we do. Um, I think so many people are walking around with false purposes, driven purely by money or the need for attention or the need to have their ego gratified. But when you actually do something that aligns with your true strengths, your inclinations, and the results and the rewards are things like that email from, from someone whose life you have hopefully put on a different trajectory where they have so much more confidence in themselves to do awesome things. That to me, um, the return on investment of doing work that truly matters um, is worlds apart from just doing something for the paycheck. That That's a great story. It's so exciting. And you did order one of those stand-up boards, didn't you? <laughs> well, we the boards are about $1,000 and uh, the actual paddles were about 50 or so. So we ended up buying a paddle and we put it up on the wall in our office. Um, yeah. So that's just a constant reminder as to why we do the kinds of work we do, that we do. That is, that is really great. Now tell me what your motivation was behind starting your podcast called Future Squared. Yeah, that's a great question because initially it wasn't Initially, the motivation was really just around marketing um, because we mm -hmm. were um, looking at creating webinars and, and created a bunch of webinars and said, well, why don't we uh, just upload these onto Future Squared, uh, sorry, onto Apple Podcasts as conversations. And that's what happened. And people started listening. And before I knew it, we were on this thing called New and Noteworthy on Apple Podcasts. And I was like, what's New and Noteworthy? So I looked it up. Oh, wow. So anybody that's looking at the business section on Apple Podcasts can see us. And then suddenly... As a byproduct of that, we were on the chart and I took a screenshot of that and started to use that chart positioning to get high profile names on the podcast. And before I knew it, I had people like Steve Blank, um, David Berkus, Kevin Kelly, uh, Gretchen Rubin on the show within the first 50 episodes or so. And it's just steamrolled from there. But despite the initial um, purpose 
being a marketing one, which it still serves that purpose, it has been one of the most profound learning experiences, um, relationship development experiences I've had. Um, I've learned from luminaries in fields like neuroscience, entrepreneurship, technology, politics, economics, you name it. Um, and then the more conversations I have, I start to um, solidify these neural connections and I'm able to refer back to what someone said in say episode 17, um, which has been fantastic. And on the back of that, um, relationships I've developed with people like Adam Grant. I mean, he landed an endorsement uh, for my book on, on the front cover of the book. Um, Tim Harford basically helped me get a book deal with, with John Wiley and Sons, one of the world's biggest um, business publishers. It's been huge. But yeah, it was a marketing intention to begin with. And that's the thing. Sometimes you go on a journey of um, The Alchemist in the book as well by Paulo Coelho, in which a young shepherd by the name of Santiago goes on a long journey across the Egyptian desert in search of treasure, only to find that the treasure was at his feet the whole time. But he wouldn't have known that if he didn't go on this revelatory sort of journey. Um, right. And so in my case, starting a podcast, you have one intention, but serendipity kicks in and you have so many other benefits that come with that. And I think entrepreneurship is very much about just trusting in your journey and not having the best idea in the world from day one, because there is no such thing. It's about having an idea, acting on that. And then with action comes luck. And hopefully that luck uh, manifests itself in valuating opportunities. Yeah. And one of the things that you talk about in your book, Employee to Entrepreneur, is the 80-20 principle, also known as the Pareto principle. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a universal law of nature that basically yeah. suggests that uh, 80% of the output will be a result of 20% of the input. And it applies on, say, highways where 80% uh, of the cars in your city will be on 20% of the roads. Um, it applies in software testing where 80% um, of the errors will be due to 20% of the bugs, for example. Well, 80% of the land in the world is owned by 20% of the people. Um, and it's the same with work. So 20% of the tasks that I partake in will create 80% of the value. 20% of my customers will generate 80% of the revenue and so on. Um, and so for me, really not only understanding that concept, but really reflecting on it, reflecting on how I spend my time, whether it's my tasks, who my customers are, what geographies I'm looking at, what products we're selling, really, really taking that concept and applying it across the board helps me focus on the high value activities rather than just wasting my time and feeling good being busy, but not actually moving the needle. So having Effective prioritization is really step one in getting the most out of yourself. And like you said um, in that intro, you know, I've done a hell of a lot of things and that's all been in the last, say, three years or so. Um, and the reason I can do that is because of effective prioritization as well as automation and outsourcing as well. I love how one of the first things you talked about in the book was artificial intelligence and where we're going with this. And you mentioned that Stephen Hawking believed that full artificial intelligence represents a threat to the existence of humanity. What are your views on artificial intelligence? Yeah, so, I mean, firstly, I will caveat that by saying that I'm by no means an expert in the field. Uh, I think we can defer to people like Nick Bostrom, who wrote Superintelligence in that space. But um, based on everything that I've learned um, about artificial intelligence, uh, firstly, I don't think that general level artificial intelligence is something we will see for at least 20 to 30 years, although that's something that 
uh, experts in the space have been saying since the 1960s, I think it was a Dartmouth College workshop at the time, which said, yeah, no, general level AI is 20 years away. And uh, every year since, uh, Tim Harford made the point in his book, 50 um, Things That Made the Modern Economy, AI, general AI has been 20 years away, right? So, But if it does happen, um, then there's no reason to think that it can't be applied to almost all types of work that requires human cognition. Uh, people used to think, well, it's just for blue collar work, just factories. But now you can see it being applied to things like contract review and automation in the legal services space. Uh, you can see it being applied to things like financial audit. And uh, NPR published a report which found that financial accounting and financial audit faces a 95% chance of being completely automated in the next 10 to 15 years, which doesn't bode too well for big firms like PwC and, and KPMG who earn about 50% of their revenues from that space. Um, what does that mean for us as human beings? You know, people talk about UBI and universal basic income, but sure, we can have a basic level of, sus uh, of sustenance, um, or substance rather, but human beings have an innate desire to create, to contribute, to feel we matter. Now, just being paid at enough money to survive may be good enough for some people. I'm sure there are uh, sectors of society who just want the, the bare minimum. And you see that today. People are happy with just, just enough. But others, such as people who create podcasts and create businesses, we have ambition and we want to leave our mark on the world. Uh, and so whether or not those opportunities will will survive, who knows? I recently finished reading um, Ryan Holiday's book, Conspiracy, which is about Peter Thiel's takedown of Gawker Media. And he basically said, you know, in, in a world where AI is taking over, it will come down to things like courage, ambition, and challenging the status quo, challenging long-held beliefs, like that is the domain of human beings. Is that something that AI will be able to do? Who knows? Um, yeah, but, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back in 2013, Steve, you started a heavy metal nightclub called Madhouse. And I just, this is interesting to me. What did this experience teach you about entrepreneurship? Uh, it taught me a lot of things. Uh, firstly, it helped me develop a reasonably good relationship with adversity because some nights we'd have over 100 people turn up, then other nights we'd have four people turn up. And the deal we struck with the venue there was that the venue would provide the venue, the, the bar, uh, we'd basically need to make sure that we stayed open until four in the morning. So you can imagine staying open until four in the morning from about 9 p.m. with about five people in the venue. Usually they'd wow. leave because they'd say, well, there's no one else here. So you'd be by yourself till four in the morning many, many days. Uh, but then on other occasions, we'd have 150. And the reason we had 150 is because we learned about the power of partnerships. So we would partner with, uh, say, a concert promoter. So they say there was a big band in town. They were playing on a Friday night. We'd say, hey, send your guys to Madhouse afterwards. Anyone with the ticket can get 50% off. So it's a value add for ticket holders. Um, and for us, it just meant we got 150 people turning up. Place was absolutely packed. Some nights the band would actually turn up as well. And they'd chill out with us after hours till about five in the morning, just, you know, knocking back beers, uh, which I can I would struggle to do these days. Uh, but back then in my late 20s, that was just a lot of fun. So I learned about the power of partnerships. And that's something that I applied later um, in life with both hot desk and, um, collective campus. With all the things you've done, Steve, have you ever been bullied in business? And if you have, did you use mindfulness in any way to deal with it? Um, bullied in business. I'm not sure I would have defined it as bullying, but there have been instances where we've had less than pleasant exchanges with say 
clients or, or, or partners or whatever the case may be. Um, for example, we had a really challenging ordeal with our first really big client, which was a law firm whereby what we promised we deliver ultimately wasn't delivered due to a number of factors that we reflected on. Uh, we went back to the drawing board, we determined what could we have done better, and then we presented that client with a list of what we could have done better um, and said, hey, here's what we could have done better and here's what we're going to do, not only to say sorry, but to make it better. And we went above and beyond to resolve that issue and that client has since continued to work with us. And I think underpinning that was definitely mindfulness because when that happened, when I got a nasty email from the client and a nasty phone call, it would have been very easy for me to just become all emotional and start operating from a place of ir irrationality and just say sorry and ultimately wait for the end of that engagement and forget all about it, forget all about that client and say, hey, we stopped up and so be it. I think it took a, a certain level of mindfulness to say, okay, I feel like crap right now, but as Marcus Aurelius uh, said in meditations, this too shall pass. And everything passes, good emotions, bad emotions, and... I basically got the team together. We went through that process and made the made lemons out of, made lemonade out of lemons, rather. Uh, and I think unless you have that emotional awareness, uh, like I said at the start of the show, you, I could have just responded in a very, very different way. And, and the thing that came out of that was uh, what we essentially did to make that better. It was a four-week coding course. We added two more weeks. We also ran a session in Sydney because up until that point, we only had sessions in Melbourne. Um, and we created all these um, additional resources like booklets and online webinars for the client that they could continue to use after the session concluded. And then when we um, asked for testimonials at the end of the session, we had 10 of the participants record videos, glowing testimonials. We got a net promoter score of above 50, which is excellent. Um, and we've since used those testimonials and then that promoter score to uh, secure another secure uh, work with another nine law firms including one uh, which has taken us all over the world new york london dubai hong kong shanghai everywhere but we probably wouldn't have access to those opportunities if we didn't resolve that first major problem we had so hope that wasn't right. too long an answer <laughs> Uh, Steve, your book, Employee to Entrepreneur, is, I know it's available at employeetoentrepreneur.io. You can mm -hmm. check that out and you can check out Steve at steveglaveski.com. The subtitle of your book, Steve, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters. What does freedom mean to you? That's a fantastic question. Uh, because when, when I was in the corporate world, I had a sense of freedom. For example, while I was at I was at EY many, most of the time I was either leading a small team of say two to three people or I was working on my own in many cases. I was traveling around the country, um, staying in nice hotels, all that sort of stuff. So as far as my physical form was concerned, there was an element of freedom there, maybe an element of autonomy. But to me, the freedom really extends to the kind of work you're doing as well. Um, and what I found in those organizations was when I was proposing better ways of doing things, um, those things weren't really aligned with the incentive structure of the people I was working with, the teams I was working for. And so while the ideas may have had some merit, they were usually put on the back burner and never really explored. So for me, freedom is uh, freedom to do the kind of work I want to do, freedom to do the work that's aligned with my strengths, with my natural inclinations, freedom that's actually going to create value in the world because uh, motivation is very much a byproduct of doing um, 
of short feedback loops where you can see the value of your work. It's like going to the gym. If I go to the gym for three months in a row and I don't see any results, I don't lose any weight, I don't see any muscle muscle tone being added, then I'm probably going to stop going. But if I see some value after, say, a week, two weeks, that's going to give me the motivation to keep going. So for freedom for me really is about doing work that matters, which is the second part of that byline uh, of employed to entrepreneur. Yeah, and you really have done a lot of work that matters, that's for sure. Steve, as we move forward, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Just 30-second mm-hmm. answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? One person who has influenced mindfulness in my life, I think for me, it's probably not a person I know personally, but uh, reading Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, I think was was influential uh, in my life. It was probably one of the first, you know, quote unquote, spirituality books that I picked up. And some of the concepts in that book about human beings being unlike animals, when an animal runs away from a predator, it forgets about it. It's now escaped and that's it. Whereas when a human has some sort of an ordeal and it escapes that ordeal, it will then reflect back on it and it will take something that may have lasted five minutes and make it last five hours. Um, and then I realized, wow, that's so true. And, and we are really, mm-hmm. that's just our own choice to do that. Like we can just choose to move on, but we don't. Um, and I suppose echoing those sentiments is uh, Marcus Aurelius. You have power over your mind, not external events. Realize this and you will find strength. So I say Eckhart Tolle, Marcus Aurelius, both really opened my eyes uh, to mindfulness. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Steve? It's made me less uh, irritable um, and, and less reactive, I, I would say, um, because definitely that wasn't the case. I think throughout much of my 20s, um, I was perhaps a, a lot more, uh, I was the type of person who would respond with involuntary reaction rather than with um, voluntary reason, as I like to say. Um, and that perhaps manifested itself in relationships, personal relationships, um, relationships with girlfriends, with family, uh, being the type of person who would be more inclined to snap than to have a conversation. Um, whereas nowadays, um, I think mindfulness is like a muscle. The more you train it, the more it becomes second nature. And nowadays, if something negative happens, I always see that as an opportunity to get better. Um, to me, it's like, okay, well, almost saying, great, this happened, let's respond in a positive way, let's find a solution. So that's been huge for me because it is so easy to just go through life um, in, in a reactive state. And, and that's no way to, to live, I don't think. Yeah, true. I know that you're all about being active and getting fit and so on. How is breathing a part of your mindfulness? Uh, yeah. So for example, yesterday I um, was hosting a podcast and even though I'm 313 episodes in, I always get a little bit of anxiety uh, before mm-hmm. a podcast episode. So before this particular episode, I uh, went for a 20 minute walk and then I just sat in a quiet meeting room um, at our office and I just breathed for five minutes, just deep breathing, focusing on the breath. And that just brought me right back down. And I'm not going to say it totally dispelled all of the anxiety I was feeling and then I was ready to rock it, but it made me feel a lot better and I was able to bring a much better, more complete version of myself to the conversation I would have if I had just tried to just push through it. You've already mentioned Eckhart Tolle and his books, and I'll put that in the show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Can you share an app which helps you or maybe it helps people that you work with to be more mindful? Yeah, I mean, it's probably not 
exactly mindfulness. Uh, I mean, an app I do use is Brain FM. So that's available at brain.fm, which is basically binaural beats. Um, so, uh, you know, when you're trying to do important work, like write an article, you really need to get into flow, which is at the intersection of those brain waves, theta and alpha, which is kind of like catching a, a, a wave where the rest of the world just fades away and you're totally immersed in that one task. Now, oftentimes our minds are full of thoughts and it's easy to get derailed. It's easy to think about things when you're supposed to be writing the article. It's easy to just check your email, go on social media, do all the things instead of focus. So by listening to binaural beats, um, science actually shows that it helps you get into the zone quicker. So it's basically white noise. I'll listen to that within five minutes. Um, I will be in the zone and I'll be focused 100% on writing this article uh, or, or whatever critical thinking task I'm doing at the time. So that's definitely one I would, I would recommend for listeners. Brain FM. Yeah, check it out. Well, the book Employee to Entrepreneur looks like this. It's a great book and I've been really excited to have had the opportunity to read it and you can too. Uh, check it out at employeetoentrepreneur.io and you can check out more about Steve at steveglaveski.com. That's S-T-E-V-E and Glaveski is G-L-A-V-E-S-K-I, steveglaveski.com. Dot com. Any place else where we should connect with you, Steve? I mean, that's that's more or less it. People can find me on, on Twitter at Steve Glaveski and on Instagram at the Steve Glaveski. But yeah, if they go to steveglaveski.com, they'll find all the links to all the work I do and all of my social media profiles as well. Absolutely. Well, thanks for writing the book and thanks for being on Mindfulness Mode. It was great to talk with you, Steve. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's been an absolute pleasure. All the best. Bye now. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Release Your Overwhelm Guided Meditation for $4.99. Abandon your inner blocks, surrender your stress, and become more focused with the calming sound of the waves and reminders about how you can release your blocks that are holding you back. Download this full-length 30-minute guided meditation at mindfulnessmode.com release. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.